Good morning, church family. I'm, again, so glad to have you with us and glad that we could be together. We are continuing forward in a series called uh, Greater Love, and I'm just thankful that you're watching today. And in fact, if you're watching and you believe this message could help someone, I want to invite you to click share on that. Just uh, click share and invite someone to join in with you and tune in to be a part of uh, this message series uh, online. You know, feel free to uh, talk in the chat, connect with those that are there with you, uh, write down the things that God is speaking to your heart so we can continue to carry those things out as we move forward. You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Many of you know that. Um, in fact, one of the masks that someone bought me from here at church, they gave me a little gift when I went uh, up to my office one day is there was a set of Pittsburgh Steeler masks for me and the entire family. So you know I'm a, I'm a Pittsburgh guy. I love growing up in Pittsburgh. There's a lot of things I really appreciate about my hometown that I grew up in. Um, but uh, over and over during the years as I become an adult, there's one thing in particular that I've grown to appreciate about Pittsburgh that I didn't really appreciate as much when I was a kid growing up, and that it is the birthplace and the, uh, the hometown of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Come on, somebody in the chat, tell me if you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, ran for a long time, a very long time until 2001. I want to tell you this morning about something that happened on May 9th, 1969. You know, when I would watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up, I was a, I was a little creeped out by the puppets, let me, let me be honest. But once I got over that, I was, uh, you, you know, I, was, I always thought it was pretty simple. He spoke very simply. It was very peaceful. But it wasn't until I was an adult that I began to realize how much intentionality went into everything that he did, everything that he scripted, everything that he would say to children. In fact, the topics that he would cover were so uh, cutting edge in his day and age, and they really tackled deep, difficult issues, and he made them um, so clear that he could address them in such a beautiful way. It wasn't until a long time later I learned that he was a believer, and in fact, he was a minister as well. And uh, man, he, he in so many ways embodied the love of God towards children, towards the next generation. I believe parts of my life were shaped growing up. Maybe some of your lives were shaped as well growing up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, when you think back on all the memories from that show, there's this one moment on May 9th, 1969, as people all around the country tuned in that something happened. You see, in that day and age, uh, there was segregation that was still a thing of the very recent past, although that it was no longer law in America. Segregation uh, actually having a, a stark division between black and white. Um, in the 60s, that began to change, but black citizens were not embraced in many parts of public life still, even in the late 60s. Their status was uh, reflected in many community pools across the country. In fact, there was a lot of news coverage uh, around that where they would not allow black people to be in the same pools as white people, and they were preventing them from sharing water together. I mean, to think about that, that, that existed in our country about 50 years ago is, is, is amazing to consider. But it was in this atmosphere that Fred Rogers, or Mr. Rogers as we know him, he performed one simple act. It was a meaningful act. It was episode 1065 uh, that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood aired on that date, May 9th, 1969. Uh, Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens, who was a black police officer on the show, to join him. And as he was there, Mr. Rogers was sitting in his little kiddie pool. Maybe there's a picture of this that you can take a quick look at here. Um, this picture shows them literally in the kiddie pool. And Mr. Rogers says, would you like to put your feet in the pool with me? 
Now, I'm telling you, at this moment, people watching in that time, in that day and age, might have gasped or been taken aback by this. But he showed and demonstrated this just beautiful act of love and courtesy that could speak louder than everyone else. Because I'm sure there were news segments. I'm sure there were people saying many things about it. I'm sure there were news articles being written. But what Mr. Rogers did in one act showed something and spoke so loudly to the world around him. And who's going to challenge Mr. Rogers? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and so Mr. Clement, he sat down, he placed his feet in the water right next to Mr. Rogers, and they, they just broke the color barrier in that moment. One act of love, one act of humility, one act of service did that. It was such a powerful moment. But what I really loved about that moment is at the end of it, if you ever watch it, Mr. Rogers has this towel on his shoulders, and then he takes the towel, and he dries Officer Clemens' feet before giving it to him. Come on, somebody. To think about that beautiful moment, just to think about what that would have meant to the watching world around them. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I'm telling you this. One act of love birthed in God can speak louder than a thousand sermons sometimes. A thousand verses on it, one act of true love and humility can make all the difference. And that's the atmosphere that I want to bring this message to you today because I still feel, you know, as we're living in this day and age and in this time, it can feel easy to feel stuck. It can feel easy to feel overwhelmed by the tensions that are going on in our day and age. But I believe that God's greater love is the only way through this. I believe it is the only answer to the greatest needs in our world today. And the Lord has something to teach us because, church, I want to tell you, I believe that we as believers have been positioned, called, and sent by God to be influencers at this day and age, at this hour. I want you to look with me, and let's go into a few passages of Scripture because I want to talk to you about a message that I'm entitling Living Proof. John chapter 13, if you'll turn there with me in your Bibles, let's just take a quick look at a few verses of Scripture. We're going to spend time in the Gospel of John this morning. I'm going to go to a few, uh, a few different verses throughout John's Gospel. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, there's one thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand all throughout his ministry. He wanted them to understand his love for them. He wanted them to understand his love. And the, and the Bible says right here that he loved his own and he loved them until the very end. Everything he did was an act of love to show them. Because Jesus was the tangible love of God on display. The Bible says, for God so, what? Loved the world that he gave his son. When we saw Jesus, we saw the love of God embodied on display. And Jesus was showing them that. But this moment here in John chapter 13 is a very important moment in history, a very important moment in Scripture, because this is the timing of the Last Supper. This is the time when Jesus met with his disciples before he went to the cross to die for their sins. And we actually get to see some of the things going on at the Last Supper from the four perspectives of the four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one kind of uh, hones in or focuses in on a different attribute. But I want to take what's happening in this situation, in this environment, because it's so vitally important to what we might be dealing with today. And I believe God has a lot to show us. Whenever they all would arrive during this, uh, this Last Supper, whenever they would come into a, uh, a room or a guest room, whatever that might be, and as they're entering in, normally 
um, they would need to wash their feet because it was a sign of respect. If they didn't wash their feet, you got to think, they didn't have... Um, they didn't have, you know, nice shoes like we would today. They would wear sandals and things like that. And the roads were not paved as they are paved today. Many of the places they'd walk would be dusty or dirty. And guess what? Animals that would normally be carrying people around would leave certain things in the street. And they might find their way into stepping into some of that. So, I mean, it could just be really uh, disgusting and dirty for them to walk into someone's house. And then they would have these very expensive throw rugs around the home. And so whenever you'd walk in, you'd want to be really mindful to have your feet washed to ensure that when you're entering in, you're not sullying or dirtying up someone's home, especially not their throw rugs and some of their furniture. So they would normally do that. Now, it was the job of the least servant in the house to wash the feet of those that were entering. And so as they enter into this upper room that had been set aside for them, uh, the disciples walk in, and we come to learn that there's no one that's there washing the feet of anyone. So they enter in, and there they are sitting down at the table, and they're kind of, the Bible even talks about how they're trying to figure out where they're going to sit to, uh, to recline next to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22, it gives this context to this Last Supper. And so I want you just to take this into mind in what we're about to talk about in John chapter 13. Luke 22 verse 24 says this, A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Now here's what I can imagine. As they're entering in, they don't see anyone there by the bowl. Jesus isn't maybe fully there yet, or he's not talking about it. And here they might be wondering, who, who is it that's going to actually wash the feet of everyone else? And so here they are, and, and, and I'm sure that there's just this jockeying for position. There's literally a dispute that comes up among them that Jesus has to get into the middle of about who's going to be the greatest. Isn't that the way of the world so often? There's such a clinging to power, to authority, to advancement, to wanting to be greater. Jesus comes and he turns all this on its head. And he, he speaks so clearly to them. And so he teaches them different things. But one of the most powerful things Jesus ever did for his disciples, more than all the messages that he gave them, more than all the lessons, all the parables, was this one moment here in John chapter 13. Look in verse 4 with me. It says, so Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He takes this towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In fact, Peter gets so taken aback by this, he's thinking, okay, if we're arguing about who's greatest, and if all this dispute's going on, and there's all this maybe silent tension in the room, the one person who certainly shouldn't be washing anyone's feet would be Jesus, the one who has healed the sick, who even spoke into a tomb and called a dead man named Lazarus to resurrect to, to new life. Jesus would be the last person in the world that should be washing anyone's feet. And he says, no, no, come on, master, you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't have any part in me. If you can't get this in your heart, Peter, then you're, no, you're going to miss everything. You're going to miss everything I have for you. Church, let me tell you, if we don't get this into our hearts, we're going to miss everything God has for us. We're going to miss so much of what God wants to do in our lives if we can't posture ourselves the way Jesus has called us to. In verse 12, it says this, that when Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he said, do you understand what I have done for you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you, what? Do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. Are we blessed if we know these things? No, we're blessed if we what? Do these things. This is the importance of this. Jesus shows greater love on full display by doing what? Washing the feet of his disciples, by humbling himself. And in the same context, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another as what? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then verse 35, this is what really gets me. And this is the, 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 the background of this message that God's put on my heart this morning. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Of all things, Jesus could have said, they will know you're my disciples if you know a lot of verses of Scripture, if you speak really persuasive messages. They will know you're my disciple if you do the same miracles that I've done. They'll know you're my disciples if you tell them you're my disciples. Jesus doesn't say any of that is the proof. He says the living proof that you are from me is if you love the way that I love. That's it. That becomes such a key part of the gospel is not just that we talk like Jesus, not just that we might look like Jesus on the outside, not just that we might do the things that Jesus did. All those things are vitally important, but that we love, that our heart is the same as his. Because what Jesus' world was filled with at that time were a bunch of religious people that looked good on the outside but were dead on the inside. And Jesus says, the thing that is going to set you apart, come on somebody, is that there is a heart in you that is filled with the love of God that touches and reaches out and, and, and it becomes a conduit for transformation to take place in people's lives. Our actions have to be rooted in the love of Christ. And when they are, they speak volumes to the world around us. When our actions, when what we do is rooted in the one that has transformed us, the one who has risen from the grave, the one who has saved us and redeemed us, he said, then all the world's going to know that you're my followers. Not just that you claim to be, but that you truly are. Because your life is marked by my love that's transformed you. Here's what God's word says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having what? The same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own self-interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus. And it just continues to go forward with his, his humble disposition, his humble mindset that he had a quality with God, but he didn't grasp that. Instead, he humbled himself even as a servant, even to the point of death. 
And it was there that truly what Jesus said happened. He said, the, the least shall become the greatest, and the greatest in this world will become the least. He, he says, no servant is greater than his master. Don't look the way the world looks at these things. Man, I, I feel that so often, so much of our lives can be motivated by this phrase, selfish ambition. There's something in us that when it's denied, our flesh cries out and wants it to be there. There's something in us when we feel like we've been wronged. We want to get even. We want to get right. There's something within us that when we feel like we're not being cared for or, or our, our thoughts or our, our, our um, cares are not being, um, you know, someone's not being mindful of them, then what happens is we have this ambition within us to want to get right to want to balance the scales, to want to make sure that those things are the, the way that they should be. But the Lord continues to help us refocus that, to refocus that to a place of humility, to a place of service, to a place of being like-minded in Christ. That what he said is what's even more important than your ambition is your love. What's more, even more important than your pursuits is the way that you embody who I am, that you have the same heart and the same love and the same mind that I have. Oh, Lord, help me to have that same heart, that same mindset, that same way of living my life. Amen? Isn't that your prayer, church, that we could truly be Jesus with skin on, that we could be living proof that, that Jesus has risen from the grave? Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples by one, not by the messages we preach, not by the churches that we attend, not by the songs that we sing. What will mark our lives as his followers is if we love like him. What does that really look like? To love like Jesus loved. It means that we are humble, that we are willing to serve. I want you to know that your service often speaks louder than what you could ever say. You know, we can give a, a ton of messages. We could talk until we're blue in the face. But sometimes people need to see a demonstrated act of love to really allow it to touch their hearts. And I want to go now, if you'll flip with me, to John's Gospel, chapter 17. Verse 20. This is a special moment here. And this is all, John 13 all the way through John 17 is all believed to be taking place in the same time during this Last Supper. Where Jesus washes disciples' feet, where he teaches them these specific things, where he eats the final uh, meal with them, the Last Supper, which is communion that we remember together. Um, all of these things happen within the context of this this uh, John chapter 13 through 17. So we see in John 17, Jesus begins to pray for his followers. But in verse 20, there's a special passage of scripture. And what makes it so special is this is a moment where Jesus turns the prayer from those that are listening to you and me. Yes, I'm saying you and me. This is where Jesus specifically prays for you. Do you know, not only does the Bible say Jesus is making intercession or that he is praying in heaven for us and that he stands at that place, but Jesus prayed for you before you even knew it. He prayed for us before we were even a thought, before we were even conceived in our mother's womb. What does that mean, Pastor? Look, look with me here. He says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Here, here's the deal. The disciples shared the message with some others about who Jesus is, that he rose from the dead. Then they shared it with some others and others and others. And guess what? 2,000 years later, someone shared it with you and someone shared that message with me. And we came to believe in Jesus through the message of the gospel that ultimately began all the way 
back with the first followers of Jesus. This has been passed down, God's word passed down to us. And what is his prayer for us? Of all the things that Jesus could pray for, he's the Alpha and Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. What is the prayer that's on Jesus' heart that they, all of them, may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them your glory, the glory it gave you, uh, that you had given me, that they are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. So this is the prayer Jesus prays for us. It's his passionate prayer, this high priestly prayer. And of all the things that Jesus could pray, you know, I, I've, I've wrestled with this. He says, I pray for them. I pray for those that would follow in my footsteps, Lord. Father, I pray, may they speak as well as I spoke. May they be able to give parables and teachings and bring the masses together. Lord, may they be able to do miracles like I did, Father. May they be able to multiply the fishes and loaves. Then the world will know and believe that you sent me. May they be able to, to work miracles like raising the dead to life, which is so powerful, Father. Let them do that because then if they do that, then if, I mean, think about the nurses that are watching and those that are there. Could you imagine if that, that just was it and you could just walk into a hospital room and that's it. That was just it. He could have prayed all these things and said, then the world will really believe that you've sent me. This is so critical. Don't miss this, church. Jesus said, what will the living proof be to the world around us that God sent his son? Would it be the miracles? Would it be the sermons? Would it be the teachings? Would it be the songs? Would it be the services? He said, none of that. Here's what he says will be the living proof. He said, if they are one as we are one, if there is unity, a unity that can only come from heaven that fills the believers of Jesus Christ and brings them together, then the world will believe that you sent me. Have you missed that? I'm sure I have. Because I think it's so much about our services. I think it's so much about the things that we do. I think it's so much about that. But Jesus says this, the greatest thing that happens is how we can be one together. How the love of God could so fill our hearts and lives that the world around us will look and say, only God could do that. Only God could break down the wall between Jew and Gentile. Only the God could break down the wall between slave and free. Only God can dissolve the barriers between black and white. Only God can heal the wounds that have divided our nation for so long. Only God can make that. Man, I want people to walk into evangel church and say, only God could do that. And say, what, the miracle? No, no the unity. Look at this church. They're one they're one. They're just one people. They're not divided by all the things the world. They're not left or right. They're not Democrat or Republican. They're not black or white or, or anything else. They're just one. They're followers of Jesus, just loving one another, walking in his presence. Church, if we could be that, here's what will happen. The Lord says, then the whole world will begin to believe. The world will believe that God sent his son. I believe that you and I have been positioned because church, all I can think of is how divided the church has become. They still say that 11 o'clock a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. That people still don't even, you know, won't even worship together. God has begun something different here at Evangel Church. Let us be this marked people. But do you believe we've arrived? No, there's still more God wants to do. 
There's still more he wants to do to heal and to work through us and to work in us and to make us love on display, to make his love known to the world. And I'm going to promise you this, that if we're going to do this, if we're going to be this people, this continued unified body, and so interesting me talking about a unified body, and here we are all spread out and scattered. But as we come together, and as we begin to worship together, my prayer is that God is going to continue to unify us, to bring us to greater places where we can truly be the church, where we can not just worship around each other, but we could truly be one, where we could share life together, where we could walk together through challenges, where we can cry with one another when people are hurting, where we can minister to the needs of others. Church, you've shown that time and time again, but the hour is coming as we begin to gather together again, as we begin to learn about those who are in need of help or serving in any way, that we will be Jesus' love on display. The world is watching. The world is looking for where healing and hope can come from. And I'm telling you, it's not going to come from Capitol Hill. It's not going to come from legislation's past. It's not going to come from them making great and, and vast changes. All those things will help and assist, but real transformation is going to come, I believe, from the people of God taking on this place of truly being Jesus with skin on. It starts with the way that we love, with a humble disposition, with a loving attitude, with a way that truly demonstrates the heart of Christ, that our actions will speak louder than our words, that we will do the things that God has called us to do to be the people God has called us to be. Amen? This is the greatest desire that the Lord has. And I'm telling you, when the world sees this, when the world sees counterintuitive things, when God sees people take steps that don't make any sense, they, they just, it, it catches everyone's attention. I'm telling you, when we started Boxes of Hope, it caught the attention of our mayors and our local leaders it, it, because it was so different. When everyone else was worried about themselves or making sure they were caring for, there's a group of people in Scotch Plains, and all they can think about is how we, can we get supplies to the doorsteps of people in need. People caught notice of that. When people were in their homes feeling hopeless and they contracted COVID and didn't think that anyone cared about them and there was no plan when they left the testing site on how they could even go and do grocery shopping, someone in Jesus' name showed up at their doorstep. Come on, somebody. Some of you were those very people that drove up and said, you are not forgotten. God loves you. That tangible act changes everything. It changes people's hearts. It changes their lives. People have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because they saw love on display just through that act of service. You know, many people have been hurting through this season. One of them um, that would be hurting especially were those uh, that have just started up businesses again this past week. I know that for many of us, and as you look at me with my nice haircut right now, I'm one of them. We're really looking forward to June 22nd. As barbershops and salons were opening, my wife is saying amen right now. She's not in the room, but she can hear me. She was very excited. Um, and, and there are many. Can you imagine? I mean, some of you know exactly what that feels like. To have your business, your livelihood, shut down for three months, unable to do anything. And, um, you know, my, that was my barber's uh, circumstance, his situation. He actually attends Evangel Church here. He's been coming here a lot of his life. In fact, when he was a young kid, I believe he attended Metro Park Church, which we just merged with. So he's really been a part of Evangel now for, for almost all of his life. Uh, his name's Jimmy, and he has a barbershop, Jimmy at the Barbershop. And uh, I go there. I've known him for a while. And um, I, I was telling him, hey, I need to be, the, I want to be the first person that you, you I want to I be one of those first haircuts, man. You got to help me find an appointment but as we were talking, he had a, just an incredible idea that he began to run with, that he thought, what if, what if I can make a statement through reopening my barbershop? What if 
what if even though I've, you know, had to get by and, and you know, and, and, and kind of lose income and all these kind of things, what if my very first day that I reopen, I take everything that comes in and I give it away? What if I could take everything that comes in through the first day of haircuts and give it to a charity? And the charity that he had, uh, he had put his heart behind was Boxes of Hope, knowing about the difference that God's making um, right here in our own backyard and through Evangel Church and many others in our area and in our nation. And so he put the word out to those that would, uh, would do a haircut with him. He says, you know, anyone that's on that first day's cut, I'm donating all of whatever you give me to Boxes of Hope. And so he did that, and he went through that first day. And of seven haircuts, he raised over $1,000. Come on, somebody, which now is being matched and even more money going forward. Um, it, it, was, it was this amazing moment. And I remember the next day coming in, and, and, and I was getting my haircut, and he's just taken aback. He's just like, wow, this is really, um, he's like, this is, this is overwhelming to think about how far people could go and how generous people are willing to be. And many of them that I think were cut, and they didn't know the Lord, they didn't understand it, but they, but they were like, they were gripped by the idea of, wow, to serve others and to, to think about this, this is different. So he's going to Wawa, he's getting coffee, and as he's walking, they said, hey, I heard about you, your barbershop on the news. He said, what do you mean on the news? They said, yeah, they were talking about what you just did. And he said, what? So he tells me, I said, wow, that's really amazing. I leave the barbershop, and then News 12 New Jersey pulls up. They spend time there. They filmed a whole segment. He was on the, the 6 or 7 o'clock news talking about what God had done because they caught wind that someone who should have been worried about themselves was more worried about others. Someone who was already at a point of dis, uh, disadvantage was willing to serve others. It catches the world by surprise, and they all take notice when they see a selfless act of love motivated by the love of God. When they see that on display, it changes everything. That came to then Friday when Jimmy gets a phone call on his cell phone, and it is the governor of New Jersey who's walking by a television and sees the story and has to pick up a phone and call him. And all I could hear him saying, because he filmed the, the conversation, was, God bless you. I'm so moved by what you did. I can't believe you would do something like that. I'm going to come get a haircut with you. We'll see if he actually does that. But, uh, but, but it was amazing from the highest points of our state government all the way down through, when anyone sees acts that are motivated by the love of God. It changes everything. It's incredible. Here's my question for you today as we pray. And come on up, Pastor Rick. How can my love, the love that God has birthed in my heart, be demonstrated? You know, I've heard a, 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 a quote, you know, growing up, and I think it's powerful. I'm all about the preaching of God's word. I'm all about the preaching of the gospel. I think that um, it, you know, if we don't preach it, then, then how will anyone hear and receive it? But I've, I've heard this statement, and maybe you've heard it before as well. It says, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. And I, and, I, and I love that quote for many reasons. One of them is this, that I believe that the message of our lives is so much more than the words that we speak. It's the way that we live. And people are watching us. And what are they seeing? Who are they seeing? I want to tell you, Everywhere you go, everything you do, if you can live in this place of this greater love that God has for us, if you can allow that love to fill your heart and your life, and as you come into contact with, with different places, different opportunities, different challenges around you, that if the first thing you think about is how God could use you in that moment as opposed to how you can take care of yourself, God can allow the gospel to be preached through your life in ways you'll never imagine. If you'll think first about what Jesus would have you to do to show his love, you'd be amazed at how many divine appointments are being passed up every single day for you. 
how many things God wants to do through your life. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm telling you, that it isn't when people just hear the words that you say, but when they see the way that you live and when your actions come from a heart that is birthed in the love of God, transformed by his love and power, they praise God, they glorify God because they look and say, only God can do this. Only God can do this. And you know what happens when we do that? When we serve others, whenever we humble ourselves before others, when we wash their feet, the Lord uses that to unite us together as one. Some of the greatest bonds are formed by acts of humility and service, by serving, preferring one another, being there for each other, praying, lifting each other up, thinking first about the other before even ourselves. Do you know what that does? It unifies us together. John 13, John 17, none of it's possible without the love of God birthed in our hearts and us being willing to demonstrate that to others. So pray. I mean, you heard about what someone did with just their barbershop lives, Many lives are going to be transformed. People are going to receive hope because of one person's selfless act in one day, in one moment. God's positioned all of us to do this. We got to ask ourselves, what is it, Lord, you want me to do? How can I use today? How can I use this week to bring you glory, to serve others, to love others, to wash someone else's feet? What will it look like, Lord God? Make it tangible through my life. May it be motivated by your love. Come on, would you bow your heads with me? And I want you just to begin to think about that. What's that thing that, Lord, you might be calling me to do? But as you're thinking and praying, there's some of you today, this message is connecting with your heart. Because there's something longing within you to want to be able to do this or have this. And maybe you're just overwhelmed considering God's love. Maybe you doubt that, could God really love me? I want you to know he loves you right where you are. Some of you are watching and you feel very far from God today. You've made choices, mistakes, whatever it might be, and you just feel distant from God. I want you to know God is, he's an all-loving God that has been pursuing you longer than you could imagine. And he desires nothing more than to have a real relationship with you. Not just for you to know about him, but for you to truly know him and be transformed by his love. This love that I'm talking about is not just a byproduct of us wanting to do good and charitable things in the world. No, it's not about that. The love that I'm talking about can only come from heaven. It can only come through God's presence and through his spirit. That can only happen if our lives have been transformed by him. I'm not talking about becoming a better person. I'm not talking about you doing something in and of your own strength to become better, morally better. All that is just us trying and striving. But first, the first thing you must do is to humbly come before the Lord, to submit your life to him, to give your life to Jesus. Today, I want you to know that Jesus died to give you a real relationship with the Father. He died as the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that you and I could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sins, saved from our past, saved from our mistakes, saved from hell, death in the grave. How can I be saved? The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What you have to do is you have to be willing to confess your sins, to turn your life away from your past, your brokenness, your mistakes, 
and turn yourself fully towards Jesus. Bring all that you are to him. And I want you to know he's not ashamed of that. He doesn't turn you away. If you come humbly before him, the Lord will lift you up. He will redeem your life. He'll forgive your past and he'll give you a brand new beginning. But you have to be willing to come to him today. Come on, right where you're at, if that's you and you're ready to make this decision. I want you to get ready to pray a prayer with me. This is a prayer to begin a brand new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Pray these words with me. Come on, repeat it from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. Today, I place my trust in you. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. Today, I turn from my past and I follow after you with everything I have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you look at me right now? If you made this decision today, this is the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. Man, all heaven rejoices with you. Today is the day that you went from death to life, that you have a hope and a future because of what God's done, and you are not alone. We want to walk with you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let us know that you made that decision. Please, you could drop a comment in the chat right now, but the greatest thing you can do is click the link that's right there in front of you on the chat if you're watching, or take out your phone and text us. Just text the word Jesus to 908 325 5163. That's 908-325-5163. And I want to send you a copy of a book called Following Jesus. It's seven steps to help you begin a relationship with God. As I've been praying, church family, many of you, maybe you've been asking God, Lord, how, how can this message become alive in my heart and life? What is that way that I could live to demonstrate your love? What's the way, Lord, that I could take up the towel and I can be a servant the way that you served? How can I show a tangible act of your love? Fred Rogers did it, and it reshaped the barriers of his day and it transformed many around it. We're seeing people, a barber did it today in, in our day and age and, and helped touch his community. Others have been doing it over and over again and lives are being transformed. God wants to use your life to demonstrate his love and when they see that love, when they see the way we love one another, when they see the way we serve, when they see us motivated by the love of Christ, they put their faith in Jesus. May revival come to our land because the love of God is on display through his church, in his church. Make us that people. Come on, let's pray as we close out today. Lord Jesus, we ask you, make us one. Make us one, Lord God, as you are one with the Father, Lord God. We pray we would be the fulfillment of that prayer. Make this generation the generation that walks in the fullness of what you prayed so long ago, Lord God. Make us one by the way we love one another, by the way we serve one another, by the way we live our lives motivated by the love that has saved, redeemed, and transformed us. And Lord, as we do this, Lord God, I pray you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, inspire creative things in our hearts, Lord God, to be your love in action. And Lord God, we pray it would transform us, that it would transform our land, that it would be the birthplace of revival, Lord God. And may people see your church at the forefront. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. I'm so thankful that you tuned in. We're excited for what God has in store.